welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. This week, you've probably heard about this amazing courtroom scene in Dallas, Texas, when a jury sentenced a former police officer, Amber Geiger, to 10 years in prison for the murder of her neighbour. She, sadly, she came home, she mistakenly walked into her neighbour's place, thinking it was hers, at the time she was a police officer, she had a gun with her, she saw what seemed to be an intruder in her own home, panicked and shot the guy and killed him. And, um, and so she's uh, been convicted of murder uh, and could have been given a lot longer sentence, but they understand the, the remorse and the situation and, uh, and the mistaken identity, and so she was given 10 years. But what was extraordinary about this courtroom uh, scene was the victim impact statement by the brother of the victim. Uh, and this young man by the name of Brant Jean got up and he said to the killer, to his brother's killer, he said to her, I'm not going to say, I hope you rot and die. I personally want the best for you because that's what my brother would want. And the best would be give your life to Christ. And then he asked permission from the judge to go over and hug this young woman who had shot his brother. And the judge gave him permission and he went over and they embraced. And the young woman who had shot and killed this neighbour sobbed and wouldn't let go. And it's all, you know, very uh, emotional and moving. And, of course, the video of this scene... Uh, has gone viral and been viewed millions of times all around the world and the clip ends with them hugging. Um, but what is also extraordinary is what occurred after the end of that clip. Because I read about it and I read this, that the judge herself then got down from her bench and also walked over and hugged the perpetrator, the convicted criminal, so to speak, right in front of her. And uh, just before she goes off to jail, the judge is giving her a hug. But not only that, she brought the Bible with her, opened it to John 3.16 and said, this is where you start. And, uh, and in a press conference afterwards, the, D- the Dallas District Attorney described the embraces as an amazing act of healing. Now, I find that just moving as perhaps you did when you saw that clip uh, going around on social media, because courtrooms are known as places of punishment, of pain, of judgment. Uh, But on that day, even the judge in doing their duty of pronouncing judgment was swept along in this atmosphere, this shift in the atmosphere that God's love brought into that room. And, And it all began with a young man who resisted the natural temptation to be bound up with anger. And, and the cry for revenge, which is so easy to go to. And, and so this uh, victim's brother has found f- freedom for himself 
through his relationship with Christ. Um, and he's able to then, as a result, offer forgiveness to the killer. And in doing so, he's providing a way for her to also find freedom. Because she, you know, justice is being served. She's going to go to jail for the next 10 years. But she can get what is more important than physical freedom. She can find spiritual freedom, emotional freedom from the, the guilt and the shame and the remorse that she's already expressed. Because plenty of people enjoy freedom in the natural sense. You know, they're walking around, we all get to, you know, in our country, we have political freedom, physical freedom, you can go where you like, say what you like pretty much, uh, you know, do whatever you really want to do, but people are still bound up on the inside with all kinds of internal issues. And, and you don't have to be in a, in a courtroom listening to, you know, the, your, your brother's killer being sentenced to get wound up and bound up by stuff. You can have things that are seemingly insignificant create chaos on the inside and your internal world can be just totally skewed from where it should be for all kinds of reasons. I mean, let's face it, sometimes it's a result of our own mistakes. <laughs> you know, we, we reap uh, from sowing dumb decisions uh, in life sometimes. Uh, and sometimes it's the effect that other people have on us. People have hurt us, even if they didn't mean to. Stuff that other people do can really upset people on the inside. Um, other times it's just life. It's just the stuff that happens uh, circumstantially. We can't really put a finger on, on what it is or why. But there's another reason, another source of trouble, of angst, of, of pain, of disturbance that comes to us. And that's a spiritual reason because we are in a spiritual war. We really do have an enemy and his name is Satan and he is real, known as the devil, if you like. And, and he is our enemy because the Bible tells us that Satan was an angel who served God, but he rebelled because of pride against God and was thrown out of heaven with a third of the angels that followed him. And so they're called fallen angels or demons. And the Bible also tells us that Satan, along with all these demons who serve him, will one day, at the end of time, time be thrown into the lake of fire, tells us in the book of Revelation, and they'll be gone and cast away and out of the picture for eternity. But in the meantime, we're also told that he will do all that he can to attack his chosen enemy, God himself, and God's Highest creation, mankind, is the best way that he can have a go back while he's still active. And so that's why the devil wants to keep people caught up in sin, caught up in bondage, away from God, away from the best that God has to offer. And so even when people give their life to Christ, the devil doesn't back off or give up. He still works to tempt people away from Jesus and away from his church and away from his people and away from the very best life God's got intended for us. So we are in this war and we have to stand and fight against the devil and his demons that are sent to, they're sent to uh, you know, tempt and, and torment, to attack and to oppress people. And, um, and so they, they work at, you know, keeping people, uh, you know, bound up. They send troubling issues, things that can 
cloud your mind and depress your spirit and, and dampen your insides and, and get you basically prevented from living the free and happy life that God wants us to live. And so this is why so many people suffer while they're inexplicably sometimes depressed about something or, or in bondage to some addiction that they need to be set free from. And so the big question is, how can we possibly find freedom? Who can possibly help us to set us free from these spiritual attacks and the bondages that can come onto our lives? Well, I'm glad you asked because his name is Jesus and he has come to defeat the works of the enemy. Amen? He has come to set us free. And so what's, we're going to look at what the Bible teaches about this. Let's start in Luke 4. So I'm going to give you quite a few scriptures today uh, that I'd love you to take a note of. You can read them later uh, in your electric Bible or your analogue uh, paper Bible, whatever. Luke chapter 4 um, and this is early on in the ministry of Jesus, in his public ministry. He walked into a synagogue in Nazareth. He picked up the scroll of the scriptures, Isaiah's prophetic book about the future. And he read this, the spirit of the Lord in verse 18 of Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom. Everyone say freedom. Freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. <laughs> and then he, he, he casually rolled up the scrolls and, and, and then just looked at them all and said, um, today this prophecy is being fulfilled. People realise, what is he saying? Okay, so he's effectively saying, okay, I'm the Messiah. It's a pretty big statement. Uh, and that I am going to fulfil these promises, these prophecies that were made all those years ago, and here I am to fulfil it. And so notice the phrase, I have, I have come to set the oppressed free. Some translations say, I have come to set at liberty the captives, set uh, or to proclaim liberty to the captives. And so that's what we're talking about. We're going to talk about freedom over the next few Sundays and, and look at some of the specific issues that affect people, that get people to be prisoners, so to speak, or bound up or in bondage in some way, and then how Jesus can set us free and how we can minister to others to help them find this freedom. And the main headline of this whole message is what we see here, that in spite of any demonic attack, regardless of the issues, the addictions, the oppression, the bondage and all that, we can all find freedom in Jesus. Yeah, and only in Jesus. And I want to, uh, as I said, look at a few other Bible passages that reaffirm this statement and this promise. Uh, look at John 8 verse 31. This is the Gospel of John recording what Jesus said. And the Jews, he said, um, uh, it says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a, so, but a son belongs to it forever. So 
If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We sang that earlier this morning, didn't we? If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. A lot of people try and find freedom in all different ways, but, but it's only Jesus who can truly, completely set us free. Not just, as I said, political, external, physical, do whatever you like. A, a freedom from sin, from the effects of sin, from stuff that goes on on the inside. Have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. So now we're in, later in the New Testament, we've got Paul and other people writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about what Christ has provided for us. And it says, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I think we sing a song with those words too. And so uh, again, the Holy Spirit brings into us a sense of freedom. I mean, we're not looking at today, but you know, there's another passage that talks about not getting drunk, but being filled with the Spirit. And the implication is that the same kind of freedom or sensation that people look for in getting intoxicated is available without the hangover and the cost and the social pain in the Holy Spirit. That there's this sense, you know, when people are, are, are drunk, I mean, it's kind of funny, you know, the happy drunk kind of thing, you know, it's sad. And it's kind of funny, but it's kind of more sad, even though, you know, people will tell their stories. Oh, I was so drunk that, oh, da, da, you know, like, I, uh, you know, we've all heard those stories and I've been around blokes and, you know, motorbike kind of guys who have all sorts of crazy stories, who, you know, and they all laugh about it. It's got a sadness to it, but but the, the, the funny side is the happy drunk kind of thing, where it's like, I love you, I love you, and I've never met you before, you know, I really, I really love you. And they're, and they're feeling free, yeah, the life's like, you know. And as I said, there's a downside and a dark side to it. But what they're looking for, the, the, you know, the quest is this sense of I'm free from rules, I'm free from bondage, I'm, I'm, I'm living free. Well, that is provided for us by the Lord in the Spirit, yeah, and, and not... Jack Daniel's spirit, the Holy Spirit, yeah? Um, and um, James uh, chapter 1, here's another one, James chapter 1 verse 25, he says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So he's talking about a law, but notice this is not the law of the Old Testament that leads to judgment. This is the law of of love, the law of the New Testament, the law that Jesus brings that leads to mercy. And he says, if you look into this law, this, this way of living, if you like, it gives freedom. Again, there's that promise, that word. Um, one more, Acts chapter 10. So now we've got Peter preaching about Jesus in Acts 10 verse 38. And Peter says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Other translations say Jesus healed all who were oppressed by the devil. And so that is the work of the devil, trying to oppress people. And that's, in fact, I want to look at that more today, this, this subject of demonic oppression or demonic attack and what does that mean what how should we deal with it now of course when you hear the word demon and demonic attack or demonic possession or oppression you probably immediately think of some crazed person from bible times or uh, a horror movie you know with a 
a priest and a cross and the exorcist or something or some dramatic occult practice in deepest, darkest Africa and they often seem all very distant and strange and weird. But, you know, Satan's quite clever. He moves in a lot more subtle ways than that necessarily. Uh, and it's still the enemy. It's still a spiritual attack. It can still be demonic activity. For example, you have perhaps woken up at sometimes in the middle of the night, not just a, a normal bad dream. You may have experienced a, a terrible sensation of evil or fear or darkness. Some people say they, they couldn't even move and they have no real understanding of what's going, what, what, what is really going on. Uh, some people you know, have found uh, they've got a, like a bad habit that they just can't shake and it, it grips them. They try and get a breakthrough. Every time they think they've sh shaken it and got rid of it, it seems to get back on them and, and it's, it's, a, it's a spiritual thing going on even if they don't fully understand it. There's a temptation to go back into that addiction or habit and, and it, it prevents them from moving forward and getting a hold of their life. Others struggle with some pain or guilt or something from the past and it keeps coming back. It's, it's uh, bringing them down, perhaps sometimes even leading to mental health issues. And so all those things can be examples of demonic activity and attack. And as I said, it doesn't just happen back in the Bible times or, or in other faraway nations like, you know, in Asia or Africa or places where there are, there are, in a lot of places, a very open awareness of the spiritual realm. In our Western world, we kind of think scientifically, well, if I can't see it, analyse it, understand it, it doesn't exist. And then, there, as I said, the devil's working with that because he's like, well, I'll keep it subtle, but I'm still actually alive and active. I read recently about a psychiatrist in America, and this is in a US uh, newspaper, not a Christian magazine, and this guy was not a Christian, but he's a psychiatrist who works with Christian ministers uh, to help people because he said, he admitted that even though he doesn't understand it, he can't explain it, but he is aware that sometimes people have demonic, and these were his words, demonic oppression or possession that is beyond his control or understanding. And he wasn't even a Christian, and so he's, he's now working with pastors who specialise in deliverance ministry and helping people get set free and sometimes he'll diagnose mental health things that he can understand and work with them in a clinical way and other times he just brings in these guys because he's like this is a spiritual issue and I'm accepting and he said a lot of my colleagues and people you know they write all the journals and say no 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 you've just misdiagnosed it it's got to be a, a you know clinically understood thing and we'll have so the right chemicals for it and he is saying no there isn't always a drug or a chemical or some medicine that'll solve this. This may be a, a spiritual issue. In fact, in America, the US Catholic Church, they have specialised exorcist priests. It's not just in the movies. They really do pray into homes where there are spiritual, demonic, dark activity going on. And you'd think, oh yeah, that's just for the past. It's all declining. People are getting, you know, smarter or more attuned to modern scientific medicine and there's not so many Christians who believe in that and get this in 2011 they had 15 of these trained exorcists in the whole country today there's over 100 so there's an increase and people who are not even believers or in church are calling up saying 
there's something going on in my house. We can't figure it out, but we need your help. And we've had that even here on the Central Coast. I've had people call and say, I, I, I don't go to church, I don't, but there's, there's this terrible thing going on in my house. And I heard from a friend that you're a pastor and da-da-da-da, and we go in and we pray and evict evil spirits. Now, what does that mean for us? Do we have to, you know, freak out and be afraid and look for a devil behind every chair? And No, of course not. But we, we should be aware of this and know how to deal with it. And of course, Jesus is always our best role model to learn from. So let's see what he did in one of the gospel accounts in Luke chapter 4. This is soon after we read about him reading from the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue. He's out in the community. And in Luke 4 verse 31, it says, He went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. And they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Now let's notice a few things about this. First of all, huh, it occurred in the synagogue. So demonic activity can occur anywhere. Uh, notice also there appears to be more than one evil spirit because it refers to us. Also that there's a main or lead demon tormenting the man with an impure or unclean spirit. So this implies lust and perversions, which, of course, you can, again, see today easily getting a hold of people. Notice also that the demons recognise Jesus. They understand his authority. They cry out against that because they're aware of this anointing on his life. So it freaks them out. But then look at how Jesus responds. He asserts his authority over them. He commands them to leave. They leave the man and he's set free. So it's immediate. It's simple, it's strong. He has authority over the devil and demons. And there are many other places in the gospel that record similar instances. And none of them have this sense of a protracted, drawn out battle or problem or Jesus is like, oh, quick, I need backup or oh, am I going to lose this one? He's like, no, nah, bam, hey, I'm Jesus. The devil's like, ah, we're out of here. And so that's worth remembering, yeah, because... Jesus doesn't just keep this authority to himself, he delegates it, praise the Lord. And so we see this, we see him sharing it with his followers. Now, so that means we too overcome the works of the devil. We too resist the temptations that Satan brings. And we too can cast out demons when it's necessary. And so we see this delegation. Let's look at some more verses. How are you going? Is this helping? Anyone awake? Come on, tickle, slap, punch, whatever you have to do to the person next to you. Okay, maybe just tickle. All right, don't want any dramatic scenes after church, but just so that you're still hanging in there. Ma uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, look what Jesus did. He, Matthew 10, 1, there it is. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So here's Jesus handing his authority to his followers. And off they went. And we read about that 
and their uh, work with God. And then, of course, uh, we read in Mark 16, verse 17, the great commission Jesus gives. So this is now not just those 12 original disciples. This is for all disciples and all followers because in Mark 16, Jesus said, these signs will follow those who believe. They will, what does it say? In my name, they will drive out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll drink deadly poison. It'll by no means harm them. So these are promises for all followers and believers of Jesus. And then we read on and we see this occurring in the Bible after Jesus has gone back to heaven. So for example, Acts 16, here's Paul, the apostle, preaching, teaching, and Luke is writing the book of Acts. So that's why he says we, one day we were going to the place of prayer. They were met by a female slave. And he says, this female slave had a spirit by which she predicted the future or a spirit of divination, some translations traditionally say. She earned a great deal of money for her, and for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Sounds okay. Sounds like that's a good true statement. Sounds like free advertising. It's great. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her, which when you read on, the owners were not impressed with because they were losing a good business uh, angle. Um, but what I notice here is that, look, her gift doesn't seem to be hurting anyone. In fact, it seemed like a nice supportive kind of mention that Paul was getting. But he realised, no, no, this spiritual force and ability is not from God, right? So it's not just a terrible manifestation that's bringing someone sickness or a terrible tormenting kind of result in their life. This is something that appears to be just cool and helpful and interesting and she can tell the future and, and offer people fortune telling and all that. But this is happening today where we see seemingly harmless things that can be really problematic like fortune telling and, and, and horoscopes and palm reading and, you know, people thinking, oh, this is cool and they find, well, there may be some interest and some intrigue with that whole spiritual world, but there is a dark side and we need to recognise there's a line that we shouldn't cross over into. And so Paul recognises this spirit for what it is. It's coming from the dark side and I'm not talking Star Wars, right? It's, it's a, an impure, unclean, demonic spirit and so what does he do? He casts it out in the authority of Jesus that he's been given. And again, no battle, no big, oh, what are we going to do? Just complete, immediate deliverance, yeah? And so what does all this mean for us today? What should we do? How should we live? What if we do? discern an evil spirit somewhere. Well, one last verse, and this is uh, summing up something that will lead us to a few points that we can apply to our lives. And this is in James chapter 4. And you may know this verse. Wonderful, simple instruction. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So first of all, we submit to God. That means we mean, we mean need to commit our life to Christ. Submission, it's not a popular word. Submit to, oh, I'm not submitting to anyone. I submit to the boss only because I have to. Can't wait to get out and start my own business. Submit to the, oh, the cops. You know, submit to the 
you know, we, you know, there's something in us don't, doesn't like to submit, but huh, it's good for us when we submit to God. Yeah, and so that means that we we don't try and do life all on our own, figure it all out. We commit our life to God. We say, "Oh God, you know more about life than I do. I am a sinner. I need your help. I need your forgiveness." And so I I commit and submit my life to God, and as a result, I end up with Jesus living in me. And so it means that we carry. His power and His authority wherever we go. So that's cool. There's the baseline. And then we use discernment. We must have wisdom. We've got to avoid two extremes. One is that we become so paranoid. There's a demon under every, you know, chair and issue and you stub your toe and it's like, oh, no, quick, it's the devil attacking me. And, we, you know, and so there's some, some people have, gone down that track just a, a little bit too far and got a little bit fixated, yeah, with the enemy. So we avoid that. But at the same time, we don't just blithely, naively go through life unaware that there is a spiritual battle that we, the Bible says, let us not be unaware of the devil's schemes, that we are to put on spiritual armour. God gives us his armour to put on and it says to stand against the devil and his evil schemes. So we are aware of it without being panicked and, you know, freaking out and, and concerned overly about it all. So we are not complacent, we are aware and we are just uh, are prepared, yeah? And then if and when we do come up against a situation or an attack or someone that we're trying to minister to and we're aware this is a spiritual issue, then we have Jesus' authority and we pray with that authority. We cast out any demon that might be involved attacking a person or in that situation and they leave. Amen. And so um, that's sort of a, a baseline lead-in. As I said, there's other issues that we're going to look at over the coming weeks that can affect people that we want to unpack and discover how God leads us to a place of uh, victory and freedom. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.